0: up right there. You're fine with them. I said in the first message in the series that there are slaves and sons. And that we have to begin to see ourselves as sons and that only free people can submit themselves as slaves. Message: How that King Saul was always a slave and never a son. And King David learned how to be a son. And you could take that analogy a long ways in their story, in their reality. Uh, The story that was King Saul and King David. And one of the things that I see in the story of King Saul and King David that kind of introduced today is that the reality that King Saul was a beggar king. He had to get permission from the Philistines, his enemy there a presser to have a sword and he had to get a, they had to have a permit to even sharpen those swords that was the reality in the nation of Israel underneath the Philistine oppression that was going on when king when Saul became king and so you have a guy who's a king who can't even outfit his army because there are no blacksmiths being a blacksmith is illegal in that nation and so Saul, the beggar king, is basically begging the Philistines for the weapons he needs to overcome them. You can imagine how that would turn out. And then King David comes to the throne. And King David asks no one for permission. He built his own blacksmith city in Jerusalem, and that's how he, fi- he equips his army. That's the difference between a beggar and a king, a slave and a son. A son knows what their weapons are and learns how to use them. And that's what today's about. Today's about realities, and next week is about revelations. I would love to teach these together, but your stomach will start growling somewhere after two. (laughs) So I'm going to hone this in on one message at a time here, okay? You're welcome. (laughs) Many others felt that but didn't have the courage to say it, so... (sighs) Uh, so today we're talking about some spiritual realities that are going on. I want to take us back to our base, our root verse for this entire series, and it's Galatians five one. It says, "It is for freedom." Say that. It is for freedom, it is for freedom. That, Christ has, that Christ has that Christ has set us free. Set us free. Stand, firm. Stand firm. Oh, let's say that again. Stand firm. Stand firm. Man, I'm standing in the room full of giant killers. You just don't know it yet, or maybe you do, but we have to learn the skill. So today we're going to look at the things that have been given to us, certain realities that we have been blessed with. Today I'm giving you some knowledge. Whenever I say the word knowledge, that should come with a caution flag. Knowledge is dangerous. Knowledge causes pride, and pride destroys people. God's answer has never been, nor will it ever be, pride. It will always be humility. It will always be repentance and confession and humility. And so as I give you knowledge today, know this. Knowledge without revelation is a dangerous thing. And so this week we talk about knowledge. Next week we'll talk about some of those revelations. I kind of did this on purpose because I know July 4th, Of course, it's summer in Wyoming, so, you know, uh, everybody's traveling. I hope you're having a great time. I'm not throwing out any judgment, but I do miss you sometimes. But you might miss me in a week or two. It could happen. Just kidding. (sighs) But I just want us to know that, so next week we talk about those revelations, what they begin to look like in our life, how we begin to take those truths and apply them. So let's jump right in. By the way, this is a very Scripture-heavy message today, okay? I'm reading larger sections of Scripture. I need you to know that I'm going to be reading passages that encompass more than one chapter. And I'm doing that because Paul, Peter, the guys who wrote the New Testament, did not write it chapter and verse. A monk came along later and put those in there so he could find stuff. But when they wrote it, it was just a long, some of them a run-on letter. And so we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. People, aren't, people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths because God's <clears throat> can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. I want you to understand right now that it takes the Holy Spirit to rightly interpret the knowledge that comes from God. So this is why we need revelation. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us. And we'll get into that more next week. Now we jump into Romans 7, 24. One of my favorite passages. Because it really spoke to me in in many seasons of my life when I was struggling with failures and sins. You probably don't have those kind of struggles. But I do. So I love how Paul addresses this. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Did you know that was in the Bible? Do you think that book would sell? Oh, what a miserable person. How to be miserable with Paul. (laughs) Oh, what a miserable person I am. I bet we can identify with the sentiment, right? I bet we know how it feels, how he's feeling. What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. Seems like a weird place for a thank God, but follow. Thank God. The answer is is in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is one of a, a, thousand different, a hundred different verses why I say that Jesus is the answer. okay? Because Paul said it. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. Here's Paul breaking it down. In my mind, in this war in my head, in my personal echo chamber that I have to live with every waking moment of my life and that keeps me awake at night so I'm awake even longer, in my mind, I really want to obey God's law. I want to do what's right. I want to be a good person. But, because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So now, what we normally do when we read the Bible is we stop at the end of a chapter, and this is a terrible place to stop at the end of the chapter. Okay? So now, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. Thank God there's an answer. So now, Romans 8.1. So now, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you, has freed you, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Galatians 4, Paul writes in another case, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. So the first thing you need to understand, the first sword in its sheath in your life, the first tool you have to overcome is the simple reality that your emancipation is complete. You are not waiting to be free from anything. You don't need God to give you anything else in order to live a powerful and victorious life. He's given you everything. You have everything you need. And so we have to begin with this reality that I am free. What am I free from? Well, I'm free from a lot of things. Let's start with culture, traditions of men, and the rules of a society. Do you ever wonder why Jesus performed so many healings on the Sabbath? And I know what you're thinking. He just liked annoying religious people. And I think he might have. But no, Jesus didn't do anything without a purpose, and he didn't do anything that the Father wasn't doing. He never acted on his own. He acted in response to the Father. But there was a thing about the Sabbath. The issue was with the Sabbath was that men had taken the Sabbath and they had wrapped it in a bunch of rules. They had wrapped it in legalism. Anywhere you see legalism, you will find sin, immorality, and unrighteousness. Because all legalism is, is an excuse to legally sin. That's what it's for. Make lots of laws until you can eventually do the wrong thing. Why do you think this country has literally hundreds of thousands of laws? Somebody wants to do something bad. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <sighs> I wish it was funny. I mean, it's funny, but it's so not funny. Anyway, so Jesus came to establish a way of life that was free to love, not bound by culture or society. You're free. You're free from the calendar. You're free from special days. Galatians chapter 2, 3, and 4 go into this in depth. You are free from the expectations of people. All of this you are free from because Jesus died to set you free from all of it. Not only did he die to set you free from all of it, he healed people on the Sabbath to make sure that people knew he was not about rules that kept people from doing the right thing. And that's what those Sabbath rules were about. They were just jealous because Jesus had power. There's something else you're free from too. (sighs) So I'm going to put up a red, yellow flag. I should get a yellow flag. Every, you know, just hold it up. Like, I'm about to say something that could be taken wrong, all right? And this is one of those things. You are also free from God's law. Now, this is a tricky one. Now, I know all you are sitting there, some of you are going, what do you mean? Yeah, I know that. We're free from the law. woo You are not free to sin. I want to come back to that, all right? But you are free from the law. But here's the thing, and this is what we have to teach our children we have to help people understand the world is under god's law that's what you need to understand the only way to escape the blessings and the curses of god's law is to repent of your sin confess your sins repent of your sins and declare jesus christ as the lord of your life and god as his father as your god you have to stop being your own god you have to die to self and pursue christ that is the only escape from the law of God with all its blessings and curses. Do you, I don't know if you understand that, but you need to chew on that. Just being an American does not free you from God's law. Going to church doesn't do it. Being a sensitive person who feels spiritual things does not do it. There is an actual act of rebellion there is an actual act of rebellion against the world in which you, that you were born into that frees you from it and puts you into the kingdom that is coming, that of God. Do you, do you understand? This is important. That's what frees you from the law. That's what Jesus Christ died for. That's the covenant that he instituted. So you're free from that stuff. You got it? Got it. Amen. Thank you. Sue has got it. Steve's almost got No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're freed from that law by a higher law. You're freed from the ruling of a lower court by the ruling of a higher court. That's what this is about. This is what sets you free. So you are free to live by the power of the Spirit. So here's an example. And uh, I'm trying to do this in a way that's not confusing, but kind of makes sense. So let me bring up the issue of the Sabbath. I got into a I would say I got into a Facebook conversation with someone about the Sabbath a few weeks ago, but I didn't because as soon as someone tried to pick a fight with me, I said, I'm out. I don't argue with idiots. <laughs> oh, I wasn't supposed to say that second part out loud. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, no, I'm just kidding. She, she was earnest. But the, the issue, the Sabbath, people go, oh man, the tr- we don't do the Sabbath anymore. Okay, here's the deal. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He said that himself in the Sermon on the Mount. You cannot argue that. He said, I did not come to abolish the law. He said, I come to fulfill it. Those are different things. Those are different things. Okay? Now look at Hebrews chapter 4. By the way, Hebrews 4 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Okay? I love Hebrews 4. Why? Because I'm tired. And it talks about resting. Okay? (sighs) But in hebrews 4 the bible says for all who have entered into god's rest have have rested from their labors just as god did after creating the world this is in the context of a sabbath rest discussion and we all we maybe you don't know but you should here's something to know is that jesus god resting on the seventh day from creation is the basis for a sabbath rest the Sabbath has not been canceled or abolished. It has been fulfilled. And what that means is this, is that when you come to God, you, the only way you come to Him is to cease from your labors. That's what the Sabbath is about. And so when you enter into Sabbath rest, you are entering into God's labors and ceasing from your own. So under the New Covenant, the Sabbath is a seven-day-a-week Sabbath. It's all the time, non-stop. That's how the sabbath works as far as what day you worship and give reverence to personally it's not a hang up for me enjoy whatever day in fact i say enjoy all seven you say i can't go to church every day you can't come to my house every day either but you can worship god (laughs) on the sabbath it's been fulfilled that's that's what jesus did for the law he didn't break it he didn't abolish it he fulfilled it and now you and i have been called by a higher court to live above it. The new covenant exceeds the old covenant. What Jesus did exceeds the Ten Commandments in every way possible. Exceeds. Exceeds. Oh, let me talk about the tithe for a second, since I'm here. What's the tithe? The tithe is an old Hebrew word that means 10%. Did that mean the old Hebrews that they tithe 10%? Actually, no. They tithe 10% two or three times a year on the bulk re- things that they brought in their fruits their harvest those different things should a christian tithe well i think what a christian should do is give and here's what i believe this is michael's belief on my belief on this i believe that your entire bank account is god's the whole thing I think all of it's his okay and so i think when you look at your account what you should do is instead of okay i'm going to give god this 10% tip or 1% tip, or 2% tip, or $10 tip, whatever it is got on the tip jar. I'm going to give God this tip, and then I can do what I want to with my money. (laughs) You have a Lord. You have a God. And you ain't Him. That means that now I have to look at my budget and go, okay, Father, how do you want me to use the finances that you've given me and bless me? Does that make sense? That's the new covenant all right and so new covenant people are givers they give they bless in fact most that many that i know they don't stop at 10 percent. they just keep giving whenever god speaks to them what am i asking you to do i'm asking you to make god your father and jesus your lord and work it out with him that's what i'm asking you to do okay it's like do you feel if you feel guilty right now that ain't coming from me by the way an old pastor friend of mine used to say it. This is awful. So have grace right now. He would say, listen, I'm just throwing rocks at the devil, and if they hit you, you were standing too close. <laughs> That's an old joke, man. It's an old one. <clears throat> little grace, little grace. Okay, Hebrews 4. While I'm there harassing people about the old covenant and, and helping you see that the new covenant is better and more and higher. Okay? You also need to know that the old, that Hebrews 4 that talks about Sabbath rest also has two other very important verses that we use in the Christian faith. The first one's about the Bible, about the Word of God. Okay? And it's in Hebrews 4, it says, "...the Word of God is alive and powerful, is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between the joint and marrow, and exposes our innermost thoughts and desires." Three verses later, three, four verses later, verse 16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, then we'll receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. So what I want you to see in these is in Hebrews 4, where God is talking about rest by the hand of the writer of Hebrews, who Hebrews, we're not sure who it was, but as he's talking about rest, he's also nestling that in a nest, a, a, a group of ideas about God's word and prayer. Okay? So if you're free and you're free from the laws, free from culture, free from the rules of society, free from even God's law, understand that God is inviting you into an ongoing relationship with Him through His Word, which is a lot more than just reading the Bible. Okay? But that's a good start. It's it's through His Word and through prayer, coming into His presence. This prayer that he's talking about here, coming boldly in the throne of grace, that is not a like Christmas list to heaven kind of deal. That is Father saying, come on in. I want you in my inner sanctum. Not not my office where I make these big decisions, which he does, but in this place that is you and me. It's us in relationship. My presence in your presence existing at the same moment in time. God's word. And prayer creating a a Sabbath rest in your heart. Do you know why we're anxious? Because we don't spend time with God's word and in his presence. That's why. Okay, that's the beginning. There's many other things, I'm sure. I don't want to oversimplify. So you're free. You're free from sin, you're free from its curse, you're free from its condemnation, and you're free. uh, All of that power has been broken. You're free. Sin. Why are we struggling with so much sin in the church today, in Christendom? But hey, that's way out there. Why do we struggle? Christians struggle with the same things everybody else does. Struggle in their relationships, struggle with their finances, struggle with addictions, struggle with all these kinds of things. What is going on? Why are Christians today not free from the main thing? The main thing Jesus came to set them free from. The power, condemnation of sin. So we can't, and here's, here's, here's an answer. I'm not sure if it's the answer. but here's, I think Jesus is the answer, but here's the an answer. You cannot do life the same way the world does and get different results. When you have been reborn into a new kingdom, you have to learn, how that new kingdom works. You need the knowledge, but then you also need a revelation. You are free. But just because you are free doesn't mean you're living free. It doesn't mean your circumstances are agreeing with the reality of heaven that is your freedom. And when those two things are in disagreement, heaven isn't the problem. Heaven isn't the problem. When those things aren't in agreement, that means that I need to get closer to the Father. I need to hear what He has to say. I need to respond to what He has to say. Many of us are struggling in our lives right now because we're struggling with being obedient to God. How do you think Noah felt when God showed up one day and said, Hey, I want you to build a boat. And Noah said, What's a boat? He said, I want you to build it out of gopher wood. He goes, gophers make wood? How do you think he felt when God invited him into a step of obedience that he did not understand? And that is exactly the Christian walk. God is inviting us to follow him into things, and we're like, God, why are you asking me to do this? Why are you taking me through this? This is too hard. And his answer would be, of course it's too hard. It's impossible. But with me, all things are possible. You understand? You're free. And if you're not experiencing freedom, something's wrong. And the answer is with the Father. Not out in the world. Not on the Internet. And there are no answers on Facebook or any social media. No answers whatsoever, okay? What was that old saying years ago that 20,000 monkeys would eventually produce the works of Shakespeare, and now we know that's not true. After like 15 years of social media, we know it's not true. Your emancipation is complete. First sword, you're free. Second, Jesus' authority empowers us. Jesus' authority empowers us. Ephesians 1. All praise to God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Every. Say every. every. Every spiritual blessing. By the way, the word blessed, past tense. Who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4. Even before he made the world, God, like, he really plans. He's a planner. God's a planner. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Why do we drop God's pleasures verses out of our theology? We're like, we live our faith thinking God just doesn't want to do anything for us. And here you see that God's going, it gives him great pleasure to put you into Christ. It gives him great pleasure to make you and put you in heavenly places. God, It makes God happy. So, we praise God for the glorious grace that he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. So, Jesus' authority, you've been placed in Christ in the heavenly places. What does this even mean? Okay. We talked about this a little bit last week, and this series is built with some redundancy in it because I wanted to repeat some things a few times. So here I go. I'm going to repeat something I said last week, but I'm going to take it a little bit further. It's simply this. <clears throat> the multiverse. Dun, 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 dun. You know, I knew he was strange, but I know his Doctor strange. I'm sorry. Just, uh, my brain does strange things. I'm sorry. Okay. You live on the world, the earth, this planet that you pick up with your senses. This is the one that God made brand new, fresh off the assembly line, still had the new car smell, created Adam, and Eve, put them in the garden, and gave them the keys to the place. That was the beginning. That's the first realm, what you can see, taste, touch, uh, and, and discover with your senses. Okay, um, So this is the the first realm, the one we know about. Um, I think we're responsible for this realm. I think God gave Adam dominion, which includes responsibility over this realm. And although I struggle with some of the politici- politici- you know, what they're doing with climate science, with climate science, I will tell you this. We are not stewarding this planet well. That's my opinion. You're like, Michael, I don't care about your opinion. That's okay. You don't have to care, but I do have the mic. And so... Um, we're not taking care of our planet, we're not care- taking care of our animals, we, we just there's things that make me angry, and so I'm going to stop my tirade right there, which is so mature of me to stop right there. What happened was Adam turned over the keys of that kingdom to someone else, because there's a second realm. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.2, 2, you, say you. you, so you might want to say me, because you know, your neighbor might get offended, you know. but still, we're in church, we're not worried about it, so you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. These kinds of verses are why people don't like the Bible, guys. <laughs> you, you, before Jesus, were a devil follower. You were a disciple of darkness. Disturbing, I know. Uh, the Bible is like that. Because it's true. And truth has a way of just changing our lives for the better. So you obey the devil, the commander of what? The powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So Adam was on the dirt. He had rule over the dirt. He was responsible for the dirt. And then he handed authority, rule over him, to the devil, the accuser, Satan, who rules in a realm that we don't sense with our senses. That's above that. Uh, when The Matrix came out, that's probably been 25. How, that move's old. Never mind. I don't need a question on it. It's a whole movie. And, uh, but I'll never forget when uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character said, it's like a splinter in your mind. You know something's wrong. And, and it really spoke to me when I first saw the film. I, and I realized, I mean, it's just something that helped me understand. This, that everyone feels like something is off but they don't know why or how. Well, this is why. There's a a realm of darkness, an atmosphere, an influence that rules, has authority over the dirt. Over us and over the dirt. Because Adam gave him the keys. Well, then, then what happens? Okay, the Bible says this in Colossians 3. It says, you have been raised to new life with Christ. The same you that used to follow the bad guy in the darkness has now been raised because of Christ and your rebellion against this world and a pursuit of Him. You have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Okay, what's going on? Three realms, the world, the air, the heavens, or... Some call it the second heaven and the third heaven. What's going on? Adam was given the keys to the kingdom. He gave them to the prince of darkness. And God was not okay with this. And God is over this realm, this second heaven. He rules over it. So what could God do? Because we were under the power of darkness. So God sent His Son underneath the power and rule of darkness on a rescue mission, so to speak, and set us free, and then He transferred us around, above, through something, the kingdom of darkness, and placed us above the kingdom of darkness. You, my friend, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are something eternity has never seen before. You are a being born under the authority of Satan, who now has power over Satan. You've moved from one kingdom to another, from one level of authority to another. You and I have authority. It's not our own. That is the whole point of authority. You're The police officer that pulled you, on the, pulled you over on the way to church because you were going too fast? Hopefully that didn't happen to anybody. He did not do that on his own authority. If he did, you could have floored it and left him there. He did that based on the authority of a government that he operates underneath. A system, A chain of authority that he works with. And it's the same in eternal realms jesus has all authority we operate on his authority that is how it should be that's how it works that's how we win actually so we have to realize jesus authority is what empowers us we are not on our own we are something entirely new because of what jesus christ has done what does this mean It means that in situations where the works of the enemy are destroying lives and people are suffering, it means in those situations we have authority to make a difference. At the very least, at the very minimum, we have the authority to mitigate the destruction of the enemy in the midst of suffering. But there are times, as Jesus demonstrated, and He said that we would do greater things than Him, There are times that he demonstrated that we will have the opportunity to mitigate the suffering itself. That's what the healings were about. That's what the feeding of the 5,000 was about. We are powerful. Do I know what's going to happen in each situation? No. Faith and God's power are going to coincide at different points, and I can't predict those. But as you get closer, sometimes you can. But my point is this. You have the authority to change things in your world. You may not be able to stop the suffering immediately or ever, but you can always stop the work of the enemy. You can always stop because the enemy brings destruction to people's lives to end them, to destroy them. And we bring hope. We bring escape. We bring rescue from a kingdom that's broken to a kingdom that rules over all. Does that make sense? Okay. Like I said, today's realities. Know this. You are free from the law, from the rules of men, and um, from sin. You are free. Also know that you operate under Jesus' authority, so therefore you are powerful. You are free, and you are powerful by Jesus' authority. Does that make sense? I know you don't feel that way. That's not what today's about. Having a sword and having the skill to use the sword, having the skill to sharpen the sword, are different things. But first we must get the sword in the sword box, shelf, holster, whatever it is you carry swords in. Holster. That's hilarious. My kids would smack me. Anyway. Our emancipation is complete. Jesus' authority empowers us. God's Spirit inhabits us. Do you have any idea how eternally miraculous the idea that God would inhabit a human being for an extended period of time from their regeneration till their entrance into home that God would inhabit them? That is a completely new idea until the coming of Jesus Christ. That is a completely new idea. God's spirit inhabits us. Back to Romans chapter 8. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. We should put that verse, if you're struggling in any area of your life, that's a great verse. You are not controlled because you feel controlled. Your feelings are telling you are being controlled. Your weaknesses are telling you to be controlled. People are telling you that, that you're being controlled by some failure, some sin, some weakness. But the Word of God says... You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, what's the therefore, therefore? I always remember that when I hit a therefore. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. That is God's Word. Romans 8. You can spend the rest of the year there. It's an amazing chapter, okay? God's Spirit is in you. Okay? Let's back this up. You are being controlled. You are being controlled by one of two things, sin or freedom. You are either being controlled by sin or you're being controlled by freedom through God's Spirit. God did not make humanity to be gods. He did not make us to be our own self-sufficient gods. Okay? He did not make us to live our lives independent of any other sources or strength. He made us that we would have to have Him. We were created to be empowered by God Himself. That's what we were created for. So when we reject God and we rebel against God, there leaves a huge vacuum in our humanity. And that vacuum will always be filled by, with darkness because darkness always fills the lowest point it always fills a void and so we're either being controlled by freedom in christ or by sin we're either being controlled by the spirit of god or the spirit of this world either by light or by darkness but we are not operating on our own we never have been and we never will be you have to understand this if 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 you buck up in pride at this saying, you begin to walk forward going, no, I do what I want to do. That is exactly what sin says. You are echoing your master, the devil. Michael, that's harsh. No, it's not. It's the truth. It's the reality of our human condition. I did not create it. I am not trying to insult anyone by it. What I'm trying to do is set you free from it. Because God wants you to be free. It is for freedom that you have been set free. So God's Spirit inhabits us. God's Spirit is what He wants in us, okay? So you're being controlled. Now, the Spirit of God is what gives life. The Spirit of God. So, what is the analogy that Paul used? He used the resurrection of Jesus. Here's Jesus. His body is dead. He has been crucified, tormented, condemned, crucified, put in a tomb, been there uh, by the count of the Scriptures three days. He's dead. How did he live again? God's Spirit filled the body of Jesus and gave the body of Jesus life. That is what the Spirit does. It's what He does to Jesus and it's what He does to us. When we confess our sins, repent of our sins, enthrone Jesus Christ as Lord of our life, we are like dead people, like Lazarus, walking out of that tomb, like Jesus coming out. But what gives our bodies life from this point on is not our own energy, not our own will. Now it is the Spirit of God that's within us. And that's a good thing. Because the Spirit of God is powerful enough to raise the dead. My spirit can't even get out of bed on an average morning. Okay, so the spirit of God gives us life and empowers us to do wonderful things. I love this passage in Thessalonians. I had to share it with you. Paul writes, we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. I love this passage, because this is how the Spirit works in our life. The Holy Spirit prompts you to do things, gives you crazy, impossible ideas, and then the Holy Spirit empowers you to do those crazy, impossible things. I love people who like the impossible. Like a Peter. Yeah, I think I'll go walking on the water today. Why not? Jesus said so. What? And so the Spirit of God inhabits us, fills us, it gives us life, but that's not all. It also has the life-giving power of putting things to death. Michael, that doesn't sound happy. It depends on what you're putting to death. If you're putting to death the things that are destroying you, that is a life-giving thing. If you are ending the things that are ending you, then putting things to death is a new beginning. Right? And that's what the Spirit of God does. We have to embrace this as believers. This is a reality, and that is the point of today. But you and I must know, we must embrace the simple truth. We cannot live our lives laden down, burdened, ended by sin, weakness, and failure. That is not what we are created for. We are created for righteousness. We are created for holiness. And we are created for victory. <laughs> You are more than conquerors. You are overcomers in this house. And many of you are in deep struggles of one kind or another right now. The struggle might be difficult because rather than running to the Father, we are worrying about the battle itself. As we begin to pursue Jesus and and, and what He has to reveal to us through whatever challenges that we're facing, we get revelation, we get understanding, and the destruction of the enemy stops. The suffering may not stop. I do not know what the Father has intended for suffering, but His people have a history of it. And so he may, have an, he may take the enemy's assault that comes to us in suffering and use that to accomplish good that basically yanks the enemy's pants down once again. He does it all the time. I love how the enemy always looks like he's winning right up to the instant he embarrassingly loses. And that's how it will be in the future, by the way. And so the Spirit puts things to death. We have to learn to live in freedom from those things, overcoming the sin, the unrighteousness, the bad habits, all those things in our life. So let me conclude with two passages that will, I hope, make this... Oh, you know what? I do want to read this verse. I was going to jump to the end, but let me read this verse. The Bible says this in Hebrews 4.30, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, as He has identified you as His own, and guaranteed that you will be saved on the day of redemption. I don't know how many of you in this room have children or have raised children or or whatever it is, but have you ever watched your children go through a stage of life that they were struggling and you were struggling because they were struggling? And you're trying to help them because you're a parent and you give them the best advice you have. And maybe you remember when you were younger and other people's advice didn't really appeal to you. I don't know if you ever went through that. I did. Did it hurt you as a parent to watch that happen? Sometimes I wonder that some of the sorrow and grief we feel in our life is because we're grieving the Holy Spirit because we're doing things that are destroying ourselves, that are hurting ourselves. You know what I mean? And if I could discover the thing, maybe the sadness would go away. But let me conclude with this last passage, and I'll be done, okay? Here's the test. The test. What's going on in your life? Where are you at? Are you free? Uh, how's it happening? Okay, what's happening? So there are two, these passages in Galatians that I love very much, they are the fruit passages. The fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. So let me read these right quick. You probably won't recognize any of these. <clears throat> when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. I like that wording. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, infinite envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I probably just described somebody's weekend right there, huh? That's chaos. That's chaos. If that's what my life looks like, I'm off track. I'm off track. No judgment. Not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just telling you, hey man, read the thermometer. You got a fever. Okay? Alright? Here's what peace looks like. But the Holy Spirit, the inhabitation of God, Walking with that in agreement with Him produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's no law against these things. That's how you know you're on track. I'm experiencing peace. I'm able to love. Goodness is flowing out of my life. I'm living way, way above the law of God in the Old Testament and the laws of men on this planet. Because I'm living from a different place. That's not chaos. That's peace. That's order. That's blessing. And so... I want to encourage you today to move into the reality of your freedom and to use these lists, this Bible thermometer written by Paul to tell you where you're at. If your life is experiencing chaos, it's time to do some investigating. It's time to pray with someone. It's time to get in the Word. It's time to find a friend. It's time to talk to a pastor maybe. It's time to do something. If your life is beginning to exhibit some of these peaceful, orderly traits, blessing traits, then it's time to praise God. It's time to share that with someone else in chaos, right? That's how you know. Slaves are on one side. Sons and daughters are on the other. Let's pray. Father, thanks for a chance to share these words. I confess my agenda giant slayers. That's my agenda. Father, we cannot play the world's game and fight its battles in the way that the world does. We must start from a new place. We must have a different arsenal. And Father, I pray that you would take these truths, this knowledge today that we are free, that we are powerful, that we are empowered, Take this simple, simple truths and begin to let them ruminate and bake within our minds. Let us begin to think about them and talk to you about them. Let us bring them into, bring our uh, notes, if you will, our spirit notes into your inner sanctum, your chamber, and spend time with you on these things and, and ask you for revelation of these truths that the circumstances of our life might begin to shape to the realities of our life. I ask that, and I pray for any soul in this room that has not, they have not changed Saja, yet, they have not entered the rebellion against this world and entered into the kingdom of the Father and entered into peace. I pray that today they would see that there's so much more than what this world has to offer, than what is promised on the billboards and in the ads. That there's things in this world that mean everything. They are deep and they are sustaining things in our Father that are deep and sustaining. So I pray for those souls to have freedom. I pray for freedom in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be on my right, your left. We would love to pray with you. Let's stand.